Thank you, Steve and choir. Today we continue our study from Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we're looking at biblical unity, the unity of the body. It seems that unity is important to God. For instance, we believe in the Trinity. There is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. We believe in the Trinity, but the Bible says the Lord is one. We know that when two people come together in marriage, the Bible says that they become one flesh. When Jesus was praying for his followers, the church, in John chapter 17, his prayer said that we may be one. So we can conclude that unity, the unity of the body, is important to the Lord. Yet we know that that has always been a struggle. For instance, in the New Testament, there was a disagreement, a struggle between Paul and Barnabas. They were on a missionary journey and had taken John Mark. For whatever the reason, John Mark left early. And uh, as Paul was incensed with his leaving early, so they were going on another missionary at a later time, and Paul said that John Mark could not come. Barnabas thought that he ought to be given a second chance. And so the Bible says, and there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. So we have Paul and Barnabas, and the Bible says that, that Paul took Silas and went one direction, and Barnabas took John Mark, and he went in another direction. So there was conflict within those friends. In the New Testament church, there was also a division. You might recall in Acts chapter 6 that the Hellenistic widows felt that they were being slighted in the ministration of food. And so the Bible says a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So within that New Testament church, back in Acts chapter 6, there was a division within the church. And the solution to that was the calling of deacons. The deacons came into existence for the purpose of preserving the unity of the body. Well, the church today continues to be divided in some areas. We, we might be united, but there is not unity oftentimes. For instance, we can take our own denomination, Baptists. There are Southern Baptists, American Baptists, Free Will Baptists, Independent Baptists. Someone has said in the South there are more Baptists than people. We know that there are a lot of different kinds of Baptists, but that is not just exclusive to us. I think one of the reasons we have a problem with this concept is when we talk about unity, we think of it in terms of uniformity. And that is not what it is saying. Donuts are uniform, but people are not. So it is not speaking about uniformity. It is speaking instead about unity within the body. All right, so let's pick up where we left off last time. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united 
in spirit intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right. Our focus today is on unity, so let's see what Paul had to say to the body about unity. First of all, he mentions unity of heart in verse number 1. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. Now, here Paul is speaking about the heart of the believer, the essence of of the believer. And he is stressing those things that cause us to be united. He mentions, first of all, encouragement in Christ. The word encouragement means one who stands beside you to encourage. One who stands beside you to encourage. So Jesus then is our example of unity. So what did he do? He loved. If Jesus is our example of unity, how did he do it? What did he do? He loved. And ladies and gentlemen, love is more important than agreement in unity. For instance, Linda and I sometimes disagree. There are those times when she is just wrong. We had one this past week. Now, we disagree at times. But there is unity because we love each other. You see, love is greater in terms of unity than agreement. Some people think that we have to agree all the time for there to be unity. No. When I look at Jesus and the example that he said, there was love. Now look at his love. There were no moral limits to it. Romans 5, 8 says, God proved his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God proved his love to us in that while we were yet what? We were yet sinners. In other words, the Lord didn't wait for you to clean things up and become perfect to love you, did he? No, he loves you in your sin. Even in your sin, he loves us. So there are no moral limits to his love. He loves people. He loves you. No matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter what you've done, He loves you. There are no moral limits. There are no racial limits. He loved the Jew and the Samaritan. He loved the Jew and the Gentile. Doesn't make any difference. He loved. So whenever we are, whenever we are told that He is our example, what did He do? He loved. He forgave. 
you know the story in uh, the New Testament when the woman was caught in the act of adultery. She was brought to Jesus. Religion was ready to stone her. And Jesus said to her, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. He forgave her. Those soldiers who nailed him to the cross, Jesus prayed for them, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So what did he do? He loved. He forgave. He accepted. The diversity of the disciples speaks as a picture of his acceptance of of people who are different. For instance, Matthew was a tax collector, which means that he cooperated with Rome. He received his franchise to collect taxes from Rome, so he cooperated. There was another disciple, Simon the Zealot, who wanted to overthrow Rome. So when you look at the disciples, you will see that there is some diversity there, but they were nevertheless united in Jesus Christ. So he says, the encouragement of Christ. Jesus encourages us in unity, in unity. By his example, he encourages us in unity. And then he says, consolation of love. The word consolation is two words. It means alongside and to call. So Jesus calls us to his side to love others. And he demonstrated the love of God to us. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 9, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Now, here's the thing. The Bible tells us that Jesus demonstrated God's love to us, and then He says to us that we are to love, that I am to be loving. If I am a follower of Jesus Christ, then I am to be loving. Now, let me take just a little parenthesis here. The, the president spoke at the National Prayer Breakfast. He made a statement. Several of you have asked me about it. So let me just make three brief comments about it. In his, in his speech, he was talking about the horrors of ISIS. But then he said, but lest we get on our high horse, we need to remember that as Christians, we have had those moments in which we have done terrible things, horrible things in the name of Christ. All right, let me mention three things. First of all, the Crusades was a defensive struggle against the militant advancement of Islam. So I'm not going to say any more about that. You can go back and study that. It's in history. Secondly, he said we have had our moments. Correct. But it was a moment. You understand, as Christians, we have had our moments In Islam, it is a history of violence. Three, when the Muslim enacts violence against the infidel, he is following the prophet. When the Christian commits violence against another person, we are being disobedient to the Lord Jesus. Jesus said in 1 John 4, 11, or John said, Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, we we are supposed to love, not because you love me, not because you're worthy of love, not because I am worthy of love. We love because he loved us. See, that's it. I am to love you, not contingent upon your worthiness, because I'm not worthy. 
So what he is saying is that if God loves you and you're not worthy, then you love others who may not be worthy. So the Bible says that we are to love the encouragement in Christ, the consolation of love, and the fellowship of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit then is involved in our unity. He brings us together. The word that is used there for fellowship is koinonia, the Greek word koinonia. It has two main ideas, the first being fellowship, that the Holy Spirit links us together in fellowship. If the Holy Spirit indwells you and the Holy Spirit indwells me, then it is natural for us to fellowship together. That's the reason that Christians like to be together. That also is one of our weaknesses. We enjoy each other so much, we let the world go to hell. You know, we're having a good time, but the world's going to hell. That's one of the, one of the things that we have to, have to be careful about. Fellowship. We enjoy being together. And I, I have people to say to me every once in a while, you know, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with the church. I just don't want to go down there and do all that. I've thought about that. In fact, I thought about it this past week. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about it. I'm, I'm, I'm not judging. I do inspect fruit, but I'm not a judge. Can you do that? Well, is, is that contrary to Scripture? I say, I think it is. I think it's contrary to Scripture. If the Holy Spirit indwells you and the Holy Spirit indwells me, we have fellowship. But primarily the word means partnership, that we are partners, that we are partners in the gospel. We are partners with Christ. And then he mentions affection and compassion. Affection speaks of an inward condition. It means tender mercy. Now, folks, this is for Christians. Affection, that's a part of you if you're a Christian. You can't deny it. You can't reject it. You can't cover it up. If you're a Christian, there is affection. And then he says compassion. Compassion is the outward expression of affection. The word compassion literally means to exercise pity. In other words, we genuinely care about other people. There's a unity of heart. Our essence as believers is unity. Then he goes on from there and says, uh, talks about the unity of mind in verse number 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. One commentator wrote, let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. He said that we are to be in oneness of mind. Okay, now what does that mean? We are to have the same mind. Well, it means concerning the clear teachings of Christ that we are to have the same mind. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, those areas where the Bible speaks dogmatically, we have the same mind. We have the same We looked at that last week. The same love. As the people of God, we should love the same things. We love the Word of God. We love the people of God. We love the church. We love the things of God. If we have the same mind concerning the clear teachings of Christ and preserve the same love, we are united in spirit. And that literally is translated spirit with spirit. He is speaking about us, that our spirit with spirit. We share the same spirit. Well, since we're different, that raises some questions. We're to have the same mind, same love, but we're different. Does that mean then that we embrace the same creed 
No. You see, much of the Bible is interpretive. And I mentioned that last week. Much of the Bible is interpretive. Someone may interpret the, 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 the thing we get in trouble about is whenever the Bible is speaking dogmatically and we want to interpret it. When the Bible speaks dogmatically, it stands. But in those areas where it is interpretive, then we have to allow interpretation. When I first uh, started preaching, I would go to... I'm a premillennialist in my eschatology. And um, when I would go and preach a revival for someone, I'd ask the pastor, well, what is your eschatology? And if he were not premillennial, then I wouldn't preach on the subject because that's his responsibility. He is supposed to teach the church. We have to allow people the freedom to interpret where the Bible is interpreted. So, no, we don't have the same creed. That's the reason we have different denominations. Some people don't like that. It doesn't bother me at all. We just don't interpret things alike. Does that mean, then, that we have to be in agreement concerning the style of worship? No. There are people who like a liturgical service. There are people who like a traditional service, people who like a contemporary service. I like them all. I can go anywhere and worship the Lord if that's what the people are doing. If they're worshiping the Lord, then I can worship the Lord. Because it doesn't make any it's not, it's, it's not the style, it's the Lord. And whenever we get so focused on the style, then it's more about us than it is about Him. And I think worship is about Him. In matters of clear teaching, we are to have the same mind. But then he says... Humility of mind. In verse number 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Now, it's getting a little tough here, but humility is necessary for there to be unity. Church gave their pastor an award for his humility, and then when he displayed it on his wall, they fired him for it. So... It gets a little sticky at this point. Now, we see it negatively expressed in verse number 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. We're not to be selfish. A little boy and his sister received a wooden rocking horse for Christmas. And so they're riding that horse. Both of them are on it. They're riding that wooden rocking horse. The little boy turned to his sister and said, If one of us would get off, there'd be more room for me. Well, Humility means that we don't think about our own interests. Gary Smalley wrote, The most important thing we can do towards building, loving, lasting relationships is to learn how to honor others. He says, not selfishness. Folks, we will never have unity if there is selfishness. There must be humility. No selfishness, empty conceit. That refers to someone who desires glory for himself or herself, but does not deserve it. One of Theodore Roosevelt's children said, Father always had to be the center of attention. When he went to a wedding, he wanted to be the bride. When he went to a funeral, he was sorry that he couldn't be the corpse. There, there are some who have empty conceit. They want everything focused on them, the, the attention. You know people like that. They want a position of leadership, but they never demonstrated leadership. They want the glory, they want the focus, but they haven't done anything to deserve it. Now, it's positively expressed, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, 
Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Really? You look at the person next to you, do you see them as being more important than you are? Now don't answer that question because I don't want you to lie here in the service. That's what he says. We are to regard others as more important than I am. And then he says helpfulness in verse number 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. In other words, Christian unity involves giving someone else a helping hand. Uh, Barbara Porter sent me a story. Two old men were pushing a cart around Walmart, and they're looking for their wives. Both of them are looking for their wives. So they talked, and they decided that they would go together and, and help each other. And so one said to the other, said, well, what does your wife look like? And he said, well, she, she's 27 years old. She's tall. She has red hair, shapely. She's wearing shorts. What does yours look like? It doesn't matter. Let's look for yours. to help each other. Then Paul mentions the unity of hands, and that addresses the actions of Christian unity. And there must be submission to God, and there will never be unity unless we submit to Him. Now look at verse number 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, Jesus was equal to God. He said, I and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. But he submitted to the Father. That's what he did in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if there's some way to save man other than my death, then let this cup pass from me. But what did he say then? But not my will, but thine be done. He was equal to the Father, but he submitted to the Father. Now that stands in contrast to Satan, who desired to usurp the place of God. He said, I will exalt my throne above the throne of the Most High God. That stands in contrast to the disobedience of Adam and Eve. As Christians, we must be willing to submit ourselves to the will of God. There are two statements I hear a lot that suggest to me we are not oftentimes submitting ourselves to God. And the first is, my rights. Well, we talk a lot about my rights, do we not? It's my right. If I want to have an abortion, it's my body. It's my right. If I want to use drugs, it's my right. If I want to view pornography, it's my right. That suggests to me a lack of submission. The second word is my happiness. I have a right to be happy. I, I have people oftentimes who tell me that they are getting a divorce because I have a right to be happy. And I think about that. Not, not, not just divorce. There are other situations as well. But I think about that sometimes. So I said, okay. You're going to do this because you have a right to be happy while you destroy those people who love you. Moms, dads, children, other people, but the only thing that matters is my happiness. It doesn't matter how it affects anyone else. 
We must be submissive. Hudson Taylor wrote, The greatest mission in the world is submission. When we are submissive to God, we become servants to others. Verse number 7, But with but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Jesus gave up his privileges to become a servant. That's what Isaiah 52 and 53 says when it presents Jesus as the suffering servant. If we submit ourselves to God, then we become servants to others, and servitude leads to sacrifice. Verse number 8, being found in appearance as a man... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross. It was a struggle between his deity and humanity. Being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. There was a struggle that went on. There was a struggle between life and death, and his humanity wanted to live his Deity was willing to die. There was the ultimate struggle between good and evil. As Christians, we are to sacrifice. Verse 17, But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. The Christian life is a life of sacrifice physically, Romans 12, 1 says, present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to God. Do you know as a believer that your body belongs to God? You present it to him as a sacrifice. Spiritually, Peter wrote, you also as living stones are being built up as spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. What are spiritual sacrifices? Prayer. You pray it's a sweet aroma to God. Praise. We bring the sacrifice of praise. Repentance. David said the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Let me conclude. Verse number 9. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Ladies and gentlemen, when we submit ourselves to God... It is then that we can go from sacrifice to exaltation. Jesus sacrificed himself at the cross, but then he was exalted. In name, verse number 9, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. There is no name like Jesus. There is no name like the name of Jesus. So he was exalted in name. He was exalted in authority. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. One day, every knee will bow to Jesus. He sacrificed himself at the cross for the sins of mankind. He is exalted in name and in authority. Exaltation follows your sacrifice. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Joseph suffered, then he ruled. David suffered hardship, and then he reigned. You and I sacrifice now, and we are exalted at the proper time. So how does it work? Unity of the body? There must be submission to God. We submit ourselves to God. 
When we submit ourselves to God, then we become servants to each other. And as we serve, we become sacrifices. And when we sacrifice, we receive glory. That is the unity of the body. Our Father in God, we thank you for the picture that you have given to us, the challenge that is ours. Knowing that unity is important to you, I pray, Father, that each of us might submit ourselves to you, even during this invitation time, that we will yield ourselves to your will, and that we will do all within our strength to preserve the unity of the body in Christ's name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing. We extend an invitation. If you're here without Christ, I encourage you to commit your life to Him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. Stand with me, please. As we stand together, they sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.